0: After a month, or possibly more, of the Christmas season, which was actually Advent, it's finally the Christmas season, allowing us the leisure to reflect on the Nativity of Christ. This is Dr. Jim Tonkovich, and you're listening to the After Dinner Scholar from Wyoming Catholic College. Last week, we brought you a series of students reciting Christmas poetry. This week, we want to add one more poem to the repertoire. Dr. Glenn Arbery will tell us about poet John Donne and his poem, Nativity. Tell us a little bit about John
1: Donne. Who was he? Well, he was um, sort of famously a bad boy of English poetry in his early poetry. Um, It was a bit body. It's always about love one way or another. He has more or less scandalous poems like The Flea, which is an argument to his beloved that since the flea has bitten both of them, then her resistance to him should give way, since they're already mingled in the blood of the flea. And <laughs> <laughs> things like that, right? He's got some beautiful poems like uh, Valediction, Forbidding Mourning, Canonization, but all of them exalting erotic love, you know, so that it becomes almost a religious thing. Uh, Dunn famously converted uh, later in his life and became dean at St. Paul's. Well, he was brought
0: up Catholic.
1: And then, yep. yeah, lost yep. that faith and then came back to Anglicanism and was famous for his sermons and also for his holy sonnets, the religious poems of the latter part of his life, which are equally good, you know, to his earlier poems. <laughs> it's a very different tenor mm-hmm. of love and a different key, so to speak. But... Um, You know, Dunn was more or less neglected from, I would say, the 18th century to the early 20th century. And then T.S. Eliot and other poets recovered Dunn as a sort of model for what English poetry could do in the 20th century. So when I was going through school, this was, you know, 60s and 70s, Dunn was the poet you couldn't escape John Donne as kind of the model of what poetry should be. And I think there was some understandable resistance to that after a while. You know, other poets have, have since uh, succeeded Donne, maybe as the center of our meditations. But Donne is pretty singular in the way that he uses what Samuel Johnson He called these guys the metaphysical poets because the images and metaphors they would use would seem far-fetched. I think that's probably what (laughs) Samuel Johnson meant by metaphysical. But uh, they would violently yoke together things that were, to the ordinary mind, dissimilar. Not so much in the poem we're gonna do today, I think, but um, you kind of see some of that even here. Will you read Nativity for us? Certainly. Um, I didn't know this poem until very recently. A friend of ours on the faculty sent us a Christmas card that quoted the first line, Immensity cloistered in thy dear womb. And I thought, that sounds like John Donne, but I don't know that poem. So this is Nativity, it's a sonnet by John Donne. Immensity cloistered in thy dear womb now leaves his well-beloved imprisonment. There he hath made himself to his intent, weak enough now into the world to come. But oh, for thee, for him, hath the end no room? Yet lay him in this stall, and from the Orient stars and wise men will travel to prevent the effect of Herod's jealous general doom. Seest thou, my soul, With thy faith's eyes how he which fills all place yet none holds him doth lie was not his pity towards thee wondrous high that would have need to be pitied by thee kiss him and with him into egypt go with his kind mother who partakes thy woe why a sonnet well i think the sonnet form is particularly good at setting up a situation or a problem, and then in the first eight lines, you know, kind of building up a problem, and then in the last six lines, finding some turn or resolution to that, uh, to that problem or that situation. And I think that's what uh, Dunn is doing here. In, in the first eight lines, he sets up the situation of, you know, the birth of Christ um, and the paradoxes of it. Even in the first line, which I find myself just kind of meditating on, Mm -hmm. immensity cloistered in thy dear womb. So immensity literally means what's immeasurable, what's boundless. Cloistered, you know, is that the word which is talking about, you know, sort of small place of religious seclusion and I guess I didn't know this till I was looking uh, up the word this morning, but it was used as early as the 14th century as a kind of metaphor for Mary's womb. Uh, Chaucer uses it this way in the Canterbury Tales. So Dunn is picking up that, uh, that, that kind of metaphor that's come down. Immensity cloistered in thy dear womb now leaves his well-beloved imprisonment Uh, imprisonment again another paradox right an imprisonment that you love um, in the womb of Mary and the next two lines really strike me uh, hard because I just never thought of them this way there he hath made himself to his intent weak enough now into the world to come so it's as though the whole nine months of being in Mary's womb are not the growth of the baby so much as they are a sufficient weakening of God's immensity so that it can come into the world. I mean, it's just sort of a beautiful image, has made himself to his intent weak enough. So he has, to, he has to strip away the divine power so that he can come into the world as, as this child. And then, you know, Dunn goes on, But oh, for thee, for him, at the end no room, yet lay him in this stall, and from the Orient, stars and wise men will travel to prevent the effect of Herod's jealous general Dunn. So it's almost as though you're um, hiding, you know, the new child from Herod's uh, jealousy, which again comes up in the last lines of the poem. You know, Dunn sets up in those first eight lines this kind of situation, you know, of the, of the birth of, of the child and then answers it as we can get to in the last six. So l- let me just kind of look at those. He which fills all place, yet none holds him. You know, the paradox of God uh, is now lying here in this stall, in this stable. And, you know, do, do you see this, my soul? Do you see this with your faith's eyes? And the emphasis on pity, these last lines, strikes me also, was not his pity towards thee, wondrous high, that would have need to be pitied by thee. So his pity for your soul, you know, for mankind, is such that he puts him in a, himself in a position to be pitied by us, this little infant whose mother couldn't find an end even to bear the child in. All these are well-known sentiments of Christmas but somehow having them put in this paradoxical form, which is what poetry does, right? Kind of springs them at us anew. I was, I was struck too by the last lines, kiss him and with him into Egypt to go, with his kind mother who partakes thy woe. So, you know, Mary partaking of our woe, of the soul's woe, and going into Egypt. That's such a charged thing. I mean, you know that literally it's when Mary and Joseph go into Egypt to escape the persecutions of Herod. But since it's, you know, since it's Egypt with its whole immense, symbolism in the bible you know the place of the imprisonment of Israel the place of the demons the place of the demons so it's almost as though you you go with Mary and Joseph and Christ into this into this world of of demons and sin almost as a way of protection from from the harsh things that would otherwise threaten you I mean it's very again it's full of paradoxes.
0: Well and, and Jesus is in a mm-hmm. sense becomes a double exile. Yeah, say, say a little more what you mean. As God, he right. oh, yeah. is strangely kind of exiled into a human form and into the human world. Yeah. And then you know, John says his own people did not know him, his own people didn't accept him. He needed to run to Egypt. Right, so and there's a sense in which The
1: incarnation itself is a descent into Egypt isn't it Mm -hmm. so that you know the whole movement of christ through his life and through his death is is the reenactment of the exodus and you know the fulfillment of of what it means to go to the land of the promise
0: Mm -hmm. so yeah beautiful poem we're used to joyful or happy christmas thoughts and there's something very melancholy about this. Does that strike you that way? I think it's um,
1: rightly felt to be that way. I think there's always a, a sort of melancholy if you really give yourself over to a meditation on on the nativity, because it's it's a birth whose end is the death of Christ. Right? That's what it's it's Talos or it's purpose ultimately is. So Christ is is born into the world in this joyful way. And yet even in the joy there's this there's this hint of, of melancholy. And that's picked up so quickly in the Christmas season. The Holy Innocence with the Martin and with Stephen the day after Christmas. So it, it's all joyful and yet, you know, the joy is, is tempered by melancholy, which is ultimately Um, the way into the the deeper joy, I think, of what what it all means. Will you read the poem again? Sure. Nativity by John Donne. Immensity cloistered in thy dear womb now leaves his well-beloved imprisonment. There he hath made himself to his intent weak enough now into the world to come. But, oh, for thee, for him, hath the end no room? Yet lay him in this stall, and from the Orient stars and wise men will travel to prevent the effect of Herod's jealous general doom. Seest thou my soul with thy faith's eyes, how he which fills all place, yet none holds him, doth lie. Was not his pity towards thee, wondrous high, that would have need to be pitied by thee? Kiss him, and with him into Egypt go, with his kind mother, who partakes thy woe.
0: The object of a new year, wrote G.K. Chesterton, is not that we should have a new year. It is that we should have a new soul, a new nose, new feet, new backbone, new ears, and new eyes. Close quote. While I can't say one way or another about the new nose, it seems to me that a Wyoming Catholic college education provides a renewed, if not new soul to our students, along with new feet to carry them forward, a strong backbone of Catholic convictions and new ways to hear and see the world around them. As calendar year 2022 draws to a close, Will you consider a generous year-end gift to the college as we pursue our renewing work, work that simply would not be possible without the financial support from friends like you? To give to the college, visit our website, wyomingcatholic.edu. Thank you in advance for your generosity. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.